0: Hi guys and welcome to Murder Most Grisom. My name's Andrea
1: and I'm Yvonne
0: and today we will be doing or I will be doing the podcast on a guy called Donald Nielsen and he is also referred to as the Black Panther.
1: There's a serial killer that murdered um, gay men in was it in the 80s and he was Dennis Nielsen wasn't he? I'm not sure. Yeah, so so right. I didn't realize there was some deals like names were so close. Actually, you know what? That does ring a bell. Um, he, he, he tried to flush him down the toilets, and he was in a block of flats. He
0: did. He was wasn't he the guy that killed them in acid in a bath? Was that the guy? I'm
1: not actually sure. I've not read. In fact, I tell you what. We'll do. We'll do one of our next uh, one of our next few cases. Watch we'll the him. Okay. Okay.
0: Right, so Donald Nielsen was actually born Donald Nappy. I don't know whether it's pronounced Nappé or Nappy. It's right. N A P P E Y. So basically, it reads Nappy. Nappy. Yeah. And he was born in August 1936. He reportedly had an unhappy childhood. Mm-hmm. And at the age of 10, his mother died from breast cancer. And at the age of 12, he was caught shoplifting. And because of his age, he was just given a warning from the police just because he well, was yeah, quite young. that age. Yeah. yeah. So he completed his national service and served in Kenya, aid Aden and Cyprus, and developed an interest in guns so that he would continue with throughout his life. I didn't know this I'm going to be honest I didn't know this but I researched it so in the UK they had a national service between
1: 1949 and 1963 right I've heard of it yeah I keep calling it for that like, bring back national service
0: yeah wasn't it Prince Harry or something that wanted to was Somebody
1: it I'm not did. sure I, I'm just talking about generally old you know, when uh, older people talk and they'll say, Oh, when they're talking about the users today, our teenagers of today they'll say bring back national service. Yeah. And I think some countries still have it. I think um, doesn't Korea well, South
0: Korea, don't South they? Because Korea, the uh, our, BTS band BTS
1: band have had to go and do it so some countries still do it.
0: Yeah, they're they're not all going and do it at the same time. I think some of them are continuing solo oh, careers. Right, I think okay. they're taking it in turns. I think they have to do it between a certain number a- of age, a certain age, right. so they don't all do it at 16. Right. They can kind of, like, defer it, I think. Okay. But Spain had it. I don't know whether they still have it. I'm sure Spain had it.
1: I'm not sure. That's something we could actually maybe yeah. look into and, and uh, on our next podcast, maybe just update listeners. I know that I went to school with someone and he's family. He came over from, I think it was Canada, and... He had dual nationality, dual passport, but if he wanted to continue being able to be having a Canadian passport, he would have had to go back and do national service.
0: Wow. In nineteen fifty five, at age eighteen, then Nappe married his wife, Irene Tate, and she persuaded him to leave the army. So I think if it hadn't been for marrying Irene, He would have actually stayed Mm. in the army, but she convinced him to leave the army and return to Bradford and settle down. Five years later... Another place near us. Yeah, very close to us. Mm. Five years later, their daughter, Catherine, was born in 1960. It was at this point that Nappy decided to change his name because he didn't want his daughter because he'd suffered quite a lot of bullying right and at the in the army and at school for his name because obviously it sounded like nappy Mm. and he changed his name to Nielsen and became Donald Nielsen because he wanted his daughter to be free from bullying I can understand that absolutely Nielsen after leaving the army became a carpenter so he worked as a carpenter and Barton fa- failed to make a success of a taxi firm and a security guard business. Right. As the financial failures continued, he became overbearing and domineering with his wife and his daughter. Now, Nielsen enjoyed the army and unable to forget the discipline and the routine of army life. Yeah,
1: a lot of people are like that.
0: Yeah, he made his wife and daughter take part in games of soldiers, <laughs> which is a bit
1: I'm <laughs> gonna be honest. It's a
0: bit odd <laughs> 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 on the game night. I know. And puts a whole new time. twist on Monopoly, doesn't yeah. it? It was at this point in 1965 that he began to burglarize houses to supplement his his income. This is unbelievable, but it is estimated that he burglarized around about 400 houses, right? Without being caught, and although he did develop a technique, used a brace and using a brace and bit. Now. I looked this up because I wasn't sure what a brace and bit was. Mm, I can I do don't. screwdriver, spanner, mm. stuff like that. But brace and bit, I didn't know. And it's actually similar to, you know, like an electric drill. But instead of, you know, like an electric drill yeah. that you drill a hole. Yeah. But instead of like the electric drill and just pressing a button, you actually like wind it round in your hand. Okay. So kind of like
1: almost, I don't know. There's drill out locks, don't they? Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you if you, ever lock yourself out, they can drill out the lock um without damaging it's just that there's a cylinder where all the locking mechanisms is and when you change your locks that's just the part you change yeah so maybe i <clears throat> imagine an electric drill makes a lot of noise so well yeah and he right. obviously became
0: quite adept at this mm-hmm. and yeah obviously obviously so he used the brace and drawer a brace brace and bit, sorry, to drill a hole into the window frame and mm-hmm. then he used a coat hanger or a screwdriver to open the catch. So right. remember you're not talking about the double glazed windows of today. Yeah. It was like one of those kind of like you put your lever yeah. down, didn't you? Yeah. And it was this that led West Yorkshire police to actually call him the brace and bit robber. Mm. So it's not yet that he has the name. It's not because of the burglarizing the houses that gets the name Black Panther, okay? And he had, he had quite a few aliases and dubbed this name and that name um, before he actually became the Black Panther. So it's said that Nielsen also changed his MO of burglary to throw off the police. So, for example, he would steal a radio and then dump it nearby, and he'd keep doing this until the police made the connection. Then he'd change his MO again. And because of this, he had a few nicknames, so the Phantom and Handy Andy were a couple of his mm-hmm. nicknames. During one of the burglaries, Nielsen stole guns and ammunition from oh. a house in Cheshire. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: Aren't they supposed to be kept in like a locked safe or something? Yeah, but
0: he's talking about a guy that's very good at getting yeah. into locked areas. He. stole these guns and ammunition and he stole them from a house in Cheshire and with the proceeds that he obtained from the burglaries being so low he decided to move from robbing houses to robbing small post offices. So the first post office which Nielsen raided was Mm -hmm. a sub-post office in Nottinghamshire in 1967. So a sub-post office is basically a small post office which offers fewer services than your main larger post office. The reasoning behind robbing the smaller post offices was that they were not so heavily defended and although they, this came obviously the downside of that was that there was less money mm. to, to steal so further to the first post office that he raided he went on to rob 18 others in Lancashire and Yorkshire between 1967 and
1: 1974 right. successfully as well if he's not got caught yeah very successfully on the 16th, it armed robbery, did he break in on a night?
0: So it was, it, he did it on the night, so he All did right. break in on the night. And for the most part, it was armed. I think he always went armed with a gun. Right, and okay. I think that, I would imagine he probably got the idea that he could actually rob a larger place mm-hmm. from the fact that he'd stolen the guns. Mm-hmm. And he knew how to use them, obviously, because he'd been in yeah. the army. On the 16th of February, 1972, Nielsen broke into a sub-post office in Haywood, Lancashire. On this night, the owner of the post office, Leslie Richardson, had woken up and whilst leaving his bedroom, so he'd woken up, mm. not not maybe by the sound, but he'd not realised that somebody was in the house. And as he was leaving his bedroom, he saw a hooded figure. Nielsen was carrying oh, a gun and a struggle between the two st- began. So uh-huh. the two started to struggle. The gun went off and made holes in the ceiling. Basically the gun went off, shot into the ceiling, and some reports suggest it was actually Richardson, the post office owner who pulled the trigger. So on some sources that I've read, he was like, Right. Let's see if it's loaded then shall we? Yeah. And I think he clearly wasn't that scared and he was gonna front up this person that was robbing his post office. During this encounter, Nielsen actually spoke with a West Indian accent. Mm. Again, right, okay. he's, he's somebody who thinks through um, his MO He seems to me to be quite a cool character For the most part Well when planned Yeah, well planned He obviously had this idea that he would actually speak with an accent If, or if he had to speak During the same struggle, Richardson managed to remove Nielsen's hood and got a good look at him and completed a photo-fit picture of Nielsen, which sadly does not particularly resemble Nielsen, right. nor any of the photo-fit pictures which were completed throughout Nielsen's campaign of crime. So, I think this might have been the first one, right. this first photo-fit, and we'll get to it a little bit later, but throughout, throughout the time, a few people got a look at him, and did photo fits but none of them ever really tied Planetness together
1: Week. Um, weak yeah and I th- maybe at the t- I don't know at the time whether it was just somebody drawing rather than being able to select certain eyes or
0: two years later after this first incident where the gun went off on the 15th of February 1974 Nielsen targeted another sub post office and upon entering the post office he tied up the s- uh, postmaster's 18 year old son oh. Before going to his parents' bedroom and confronting the couple who were asleep in bed. The sub-postmaster, Donald Skepper, attempted to stop Nielsen and lunged off the bed towards him. And at this point, Nielsen shot him oh. and fled empty-handed. Right. Donald Skepper died and this was the first murder committed by Nielsen. Right. The police investigation which followed this tentatively linked this robbery with the one committed two years previously in Hayward, mm. Lancashire... Although, the, again, the photo fits, they didn't match. Right. So there was... They were beginning to think there was a link, mm-hmm. but they got the photo fits, not the most positive of matches. Right. By September, the police had interviewed over 30,000 people in the ser- in their search for Nielsen, but they would no luck finding the killer. Six months after Donald Skepper, killing Donald Skepper, Nielsen targeted another post office, and this one in Higher baxendale Lancashire, Again, Nielsen entered the bedroom of the postmaster, Derek Astin, and again the postmaster woke up and a struggle ensued. This woke up Astin's wife, and when the struggle left the bedroom and went onto the landing, the gun went off, shooting Astin, who later died in hospital oh, for his wounds and no. home. Nielsen, in his bed to escape, fell down the stairs but still managed to flee the house, and Astin's wife, in an interview with the local television, with a local television reporter, referred to Nielsen as being so quick he was like a panther. And with it being quite well known that this guy that was robbing and murdering people in post offices was dressed in black, the the guy concluded the interview with the phrase, where is the black panther? And so the nickname came into being. So that's where he gets his nickname from. The police were quick to connect the two murders of the post office postmasters, Skepper and Astin, as the MO and the clothing were identical and as were the clothing and the mode and entry mode of entry to the house and the bullets that they recovered from the scene. Okay. Two months later, Nielsen struck again, hitting a post office in Langley, West Midland, in the West Midlands. This time, he changed his MO of entering the premises, and instead of entering and basically breaking in, the postmaster, Sidney Grayland, went to answer a knock at his rear door. So, when he do- oh. someone knocked on his door, went to answer it, and Nielsen was waiting on the other
1: side. Wouldn't you have thought he might be more living above all that money? mm you know, and somebody knocks, you know, back door on the night. Your back door's funny as well, isn't it? I, I think only friends or family go around to the back door. Mm. It's. it's
0: but maybe that's why. Maybe oh, yeah, he might right. be somebody who is. His family
1: often drop by. Yeah, depends what time, I suppose. Yeah. Um, But I would be careful. And usually he'd shout. I don't. Me being a woman, without, you know, you're a bit more careful, do, do more stuff like that. But. It's, I wouldn't like to. Maybe they did use the back door, maybe it wasn't that unusual. Maybe not. You just don't know, do you? Yeah. So, Nielsen was carrying a torch and a bottle of
0: ammonia. Okay. And this plan, <laughs> but wait for this obviously, he planned to use the ammonia to overcome his victim, <laughs> mm. but this didn't work out and it actually ended up with his, him squirting himself in the face. Right. And this forced him to remove his hood as. And around about that point, I think, Grayland's wife came into the room. Nielsen attacked Mrs. Grayland and actually fractured a skull and shot Mr. Grayland before stealing £800 in postal orders. Now, sadly, Mrs. Grayland was critically... Critically ill, but Mr. Grayland became Nielsen's third murder victim. Bullets from all three shootings were found, and tested, and found to be identical, tying all three murders together. However, the photo fix from the least three different witnesses did not give a good, some good enough similarity to use, as they contrasted too much with each other. Right. During the re- so. During this robbery, where Nielsen killed Grayland and injured his wife, he left with eight hundred pounds, which in two in in twenty twenty three would be the equivalent of somewhere around thirteen and a half
1: thousand
0: pounds. Right. So a decent amount no, of money. Not, yeah, it is. But not not too, shabby. not too shabby. But it's not like your big final hurrah where you can well you can't retire in that. No. So Nielsen was unhappy with these low payouts for this crime. So I suppose, in a way, it's a low amount of money for armed robbery. If you well, think for about, murder? Yeah, well, obviously, yeah, murder. Yeah. And, but the intention, the main intention was, you know, robbery, wasn't it? Yeah. And he's not getting away with anywhere near, you'd think, enough money
1: to put the risk at such... Such a high level. So, why was he going to the bedrooms and to to get them to open safe? Or I, I think so. I think okay. he was. I think he needed them if he's managed to get. You know, he shot a lot of these men straight away, and then escaped with the money. So the first two, though, he didn't.
0: He just fled. Oh, okay, right. Sorry. So and don't forget, he's been robbing other places in between time, yeah. where Obviously, he
1: was successful in
0: getting the money. He was unso He wasn't very happy with the amount of with the low payouts for these crimes and he read, happened to read a newspaper article in the Daily Express, about a teenage girl called Leslie Whittle, and she was an heiress to 82 and a thousand pounds, which was left to her by her deceased father George Whittle. Mm. Mr. Little Whittle, sorry, Mr. Whittle had a successful coach company. Now, just in case you're wondering, the equivalent of 82500 and then would be now very close to almost a million pounds. Now, yeah. Nielsen, whilst continuing to rob small post offices post offices started to plan the kidnapping of leslie whittle in order to get the family to pay a large ransom for her return in addition to the money Nielsen was also displeased with the lack of notoriety he was receiving so he'd only appeared on local newspapers in local newspapers so far for his crime and he'd failed to reach the attention of the larger more national newspapers
1: because these guys like to read their own news articles and reports yeah. And gives them some kind of validation or know, notoriety, a proudness of what they've done.
0: After planning the kidnapping over the next few years, so he wasn't he didn't immediately rush to kidnap right. Leslie Whittle. He planned it meticulously. well, he say meticulously, but he planned it over the next few years. And he put his plan into action on the fourteenth of january nineteen seventy five. Right. 14th of January 1975. Dorothy Whittle, which is Leslie Whittle's mother, had left the house one evening to attend on that evening to attend a social visit. And when she returned in the early hours, she checked on her daughter, who was a, who was asleep in her bed. She took two sleeping tablets before getting oh. to bed herself. After Dorothy went to their bed, went to bed. Nielsen entered the house after cutting the telephone wire and used his extensive skills in breaking into properties to enter the residence. He silently made his way to now 17-year-old Leslie's bedroom. He shook her awake by her shoulder, and when she opened her eyes, he placed his hand over her mouth, and she saw that he was pointing a gun at her face. He gagged her and allowed Leslie to dress in only her dressing gown and slippers before walking her silently from her house into a waiting green Morris 1300 car, which he'd stolen previously. Right. He bound her wrist and ankles together, and then he blindfolded her and ordered her to lie in the back seat under a foam mattress. He went back into the house, and on a table, he placed the ransom demand, which was basically on a box of chocolates, Turkish spice in fact, and he punched out on a roll of Dymo tape, which is basically an old kind of, like, labelling method. I'm pretty sure you can still buy it, though. Yeah, I remember them, yeah. Yeah. I made an indentation to the plastic, yeah. Yeah. So Nielsen took £200 cash from the home and left his ransom demand. And the ransom demand read... No police. 500,000 ransom to be ready to deliver. Wait for the telephone call at Swan Shopping Centre telephone box, 6pm to 1pm. If no call, return following evening. When you answer, give name only and listen. You must follow instructions without argument. From time you answer, you are on a time limit. If police or tricks, death. Swan Shopping Centre, Kiddiminster, Deliver five hundred thousand in a white van, fifty thousand in old notes, twenty-five thousand in one-pound notes, and twenty-five thousand in five-pound notes. There will be no exchange. Only after five hundred thousand pound has been cleared, will victim be released. That's yeah, yep. Nielsen drove Leslie sixty-five miles to Bathpool Park in Kidsgrove, Staffordshire where he removed her blindfold and bindings from her ankles and forced her down an iron ladder into a narrow drainage shaft off a nearby reservoir.
1: Right.
0: Nielsen went with her, and the journey took them past an underground waterfall and other obstacles until they reached a narrow ledge 60 metres or 54 feet below the ground. The ledge was only 60 centimetres wide.
1: Right.
0: And once on the ledge, Nielsen removed Leslie's gag, telling her that she needed to be quiet, but also that nobody could hear a scream. He cut her wrist bindings and made her remove the dressing gown because he got wet and wanted to dry himself off. Oh, what a charm. Yeah. What so exactly. So this this left Leslie naked. Oh no. He placed a hood and a wire noose around her neck, and the noose was attached to a five-foot cord, which he tied to the side of the shaft. A mattress, torch and sleeping bag were already on the ledge and some sources actually say that he left Leslie with a flask of soup, a bottle of brandy, a small puzzle and six paperback books to occupy time and keep her warm. I'm not sure whether the police actually found evidence of this. Right, okay. Leslie apparently asked for her dressing gown back and this must be from interviews with Nielsen after the fact. Yeah. So Leslie apparently asked for a dressing gown back and he refused and said that it was still wet and he used a West Indian accent when he spoke right. to her. She asked when she could go home and he told her that if, when the ransom was paid and then he left uh, Leslie alone, cold and naked and I would massively imagine petrified in the cold shaft and returned home to his family in Bradford where he ensured that for the rest of the morning and the afternoon he was seen by his neighbours. To create alibis. really thought this out. Yeah. It's all planned, isn't it? Well, it took him two years. Yeah. He, I, I would imagine, in his mind, he's the most...
1: It's all about beating the police as well, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, outsmarting the police, outsmarting the detectives.
0: Yeah, and I don't really... Well, they didn't actually find him from any evidence mm. that he left behind or anything like that. Okay. it was It was something else which led to his arrest, right. which we'll get to okay. later on. At six fifty A. M. the next morning, Leslie Leslie's mum went to look for her after she failed to turn up to the kitchen table for a breakfast. When she went to her daughter's room, she found the bedroom empty and she noted that the clothes that Leslie got ready so that she could put them on and go to college the next day were still laid out on the chair. She searched the house and found the internal garage door slightly ajar and she immediately picked up the phone to call Leslie's hmm. 20-year-old, 28-year-old brother, Ronald Whittle, where she found that the phone was actually dead. She ran to the car, ah. still in her dressing gown, and drove straight to Ronald's house. Ronald and his wife, Gaynor, confirmed that they had not seen Leslie and together they all returned to the Whittle residence. When they arrived, they found, they found the phone wire cut and that Leslie's dressing gown and slippers were the only items missing. It was Ronald's wife, Gaynor, that found the ransom demand and despite the warnings from Nielsen not to contact the police, Ronald immediately ran West Mercia Police and reported the kidnapping.
1: I don't blame them for ringing the police. It's a big thing to cope with on your own, and especially if you can't pay the ransom. Mm-hmm. For me, there'd be, no, there'd be no issue, you know, I'd have to call the police because there's no way I could pay a ransom. No. So the investigation into Leslie's kidnapping began
0: and it was led by Detective Chief Superintendent Robert Booth of West Mercia Police. Scotland Yard did assist the case by assigning 12 officers which were trained to handle kidnapping cases and this included DCI Walter Barham. and all officers involved discussed the case and determined that it was not the work of an amateur and agreed that Ronald should go ahead with the ransom drop and not without any, like, outward presence of police involvement. Yeah. So while Ronald headed to the bank to collect the 500,000 in used banknotes, the police arranged for the fo- for Whittle's phone and, like, the phone at the house to be tapped, as well as that one at the Swan shopping centre. Unfortunately, during the day, despite orders to be discreet about police involvement... Um, an unknown individual, informed a freelance journalist of the kidnapping. So the information was then sold to Birmingham-based newspapers and the BBC that aired the kidnapping story on the 9 o'clock national news that evening. And this was all before the kidnappers' intended time frame for contacting the family. Because of the leak, Ronald Whittle was told by the police not to turn up to the shopping centre and when Nielsen rang at 1am on the 15th of January, nobody was there to answer the phone. Wow. At this point, Nielsen was aware... Was actually unaware that the police had been in So he didn't even realise they could have gone ahead and done it.
1: Wow. And it wouldn't and have made a difference. Been... Yeah, were you watching them?
0: I haven't... There's nothing that suggests he was. Right. But there's a lot to watch, though, isn't there?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And the, secure... the surveillance that's widely available to civilians wasn't then. No. He might have been watching but he wouldn't have been watching everywhere. Later on the 15th, Nielsen returned to Leslie and ordered her to record a message to her family and the message started with, please mum, before assuring her family that she was safe and adding the words, I'm okay, I got a bit wet, but I'm quite dry now, I'm being very well treated, I'm being treated very well, okay. And she then read Nielsen's instructions as to where they were to travel to find further instructions on how to deliver the money to secure her release. Nielsen then made dimotate messages before placing them discreetly in several phone boxes across the West Midlands. On the evening of 15th of January, Nielsen drove to a car park close to Dudley Zoo, and he ordered to leave one of these relayed instructions in a phone box. As he was looking around, he was seen by a security guard who was 44-year-old Gerald Smith, Gerald Smith became suspicious of Nielsen's behaviour. I think he was like loitering around. And initially, Smith confronted Nielsen himself before walking off and heading back to the depot to call the police. Nielsen shot Smith in the back six times. And although he arrived in his car, so Nielsen had driven in the car the same one that he'd used in the kidnapping, the Green Morris 1300, he actually fled on foot and left his car behind and never went back for it. Smith did not die immediately, but did pass 14 months later from his injuries. Bullet casings at the scene confirmed to police that the gun had been used before in the post office shootings of Derek Askin. What I believe happened is he must have taken a couple of guns and maybe used both of them or one of them and not the other. And I think that they could tie... Derek Askins murder to that of the Smith shooting at the time, but not the other post office murders the bullets confirm that the shooter was the notorious Black Panther, but don't forget at this point they've not connected right. the, the shooting of Smith with the kidnapping of Leslie, Okay, so they've not actually made that connection yet on the 16th of January, at on 11.45, Nielsen finally managed to contact Leslie's family, playing the tape recording Leslie had made as soon as the contact was initiated. The tape was 89 seconds long, and it instructed the family that Donald would have to take the money with him to a specified telephone box in Kids Grove so that he could get another message, which he would then find behind the back board of the phone. Right. Ronald agreed to use a bugging device when he went on the ransom drop, so that he could maintain contact with the police and the police promised that if need be, they would be able to if he contacted them, he would be they would be there to help him and support him within two minutes. Now, I think two minutes is a hell say. of a long time for something to happen. Ronald left the police station only a few hours later at one mm. thirty AM on by now, the seventeenth of January, to drive the drive to the telephone box in Kids Grove, followed by several unmarked police vehicles Ronald got lost a couple of times because he was unfamiliar with the area and eventually arrived at the telephone box at 3am and it took him, I think about, it took him quite a while to find the actual Dymo tape, Dymo message and this directed him to Bathpool Park just one and a half miles from the telephone box now remember, Bathpool Park is where Leslie is right okay which is just one and a half miles from this telephone box. So this is where he'd been instructed to go. The message instructed Ronald to drive up Boathouse Road, turn right onto a public footpath, drive to a no-entry service area. He was then to drive past a wall and flash his headlights and look for a torch signal. He was to then retrieve the torch, which would have instructions on it. And the message ended with the words, go home wait for the telephone. Ronald arrived at Bathpool Park and he turned into the service area but he couldn't see the low wall that edged the railway bridge and instead he drove straight to the end of the lane where he stopped and repeatedly flashed his lights before eventually getting out. He shouted, this is Ronald Whittle, is anyone there? And he drove up and down the road repeatedly flashing his lights and after doing this for an hour he left and went to meet the police at a prearranged place. Right. So he'd got He'd, he'd got mixed up, but he'd gone to the wrong place. Now, West Mercy Police Officer later blamed placed the blame for this failed ran, ransom delivery on Staffordshire Police as a patrol car from their division was seen driving through and parking within the vicinity at the intended rendezvous point. However, this wasn't actually what had spooked Nielsen, so this is what that... The police car being there wasn't what caused Nielsen to flee. It was actually a courting couple that had driven into the park at about quarter to three in the morning, parked close to the rendezvous point, and afterwards the couple were reportedly being confused Mm. by the repeated flashing torchlight aimed in their direction Mm. from a nearby wooded area. A brief search, so after this failed ransom drop, they did a brief search of Bathpool Park area the next morning. And this was this was conducted by Scotland Jad, and they reported back to Detective Chief Superintendent Booth that the search had revealed nothing of significance. Now, if you remember, Nielsen had left his car at the scene when he shot Gerard Smith, Gerald Smith. So whilst he was looking for somewhere to place the recording, obviously, like I said, left his car, gone on, left his car, altercation with Ger- Gerald Smith, and he'd run away on foot and on the 23rd of January West Midlands Police contacted West Mercy Police to report that since the shooting a stolen dark green Morris 1300 had been left around about 160 feet away from where Smith had been shot and a routine inspection of this car um, showed that the vehicle license plate did not match the license plate number on the tax disc, and that the car had actually been stolen from West Bromwich three months ago. Inside the car, in the boot, they found a tape recorder, which, when played, revealed a female voice, which then determined to be, which they determined to be Leslie Whittles. They later confirmed this to be the attended mm. abort and ran aborted ransom collection on the fifteenth of January. On the tape, Leslie asked her family to cooperate with the kidnapper and gave instructions for whoever took the ransom money to drive to the M6 Junction 10 and then A454 towards Walsall to the cell phone booth where instructions had been hidden. They also found four envelopes detailing the route the ransom carrier had, to be, had been intended to take on the 15th of January. They found a microphone, a gun, heavy-duty plastic sheets, a torch, phone mattress and various messages which indicated a ransom trail.
1: It's very Michael Sams-ish isn't it? We did that on our first podcast and that was this envelope, had these drive to this place and do that, drive to that place and do this. I think it was all very much Mm. do this,
0: do that, do the other.
1: And don't forget you've not got mobile phones so if you were to repeat the instructions you'd have to find a phone box and ring them in. Yeah. Whereas I suppose Today you could have your phone open mm. and be saying it in car and, and saying it aloud and letting police know where you were and what you were doing. Yeah.
0: Hair samples taken from the rear seat were the t- were tested and these were ma- these were matched to Leslie's hairbrush, so right. hair some taken from Leslie's hairbrush, which indicated that this was the vehicle used to kidnap Leslie. Although ballistic analysis had been linked had linked the Smith shooting with that of the Postmaster Askin, mm. further testing on the gun found in the abandoned car confirmed the weapon had been used in the shootings of all three Postmaster right. shootings.
1: What kind of gun was it? Was it a shotgun? I think he did have a
0: shotgun. Right. I'm not saying... I don't know whether that's the only gun right. he had. The discovery ultimately linked Leslie's... This discovery ultimately linked Leslie's wow. kidnapping... With the Black Panther. Yeah. After the failed ransom drop, Detective Chief Superintendent Booth was keen for the kidnapper to reinitiate contact with the Whittle family to arrange another ransom drop. Mm. The shooting and further discovery of the Green Morris 1300 gave the police a justified reason to basically come out and say that they knew about the kidnapping. Mm. So before this, they'd had, because the, the kidnapper had. Demanded that the police weren't involved, despite yeah. the newspaper leak. They'd kind of, they'd had to, they'd had to take a back seat, kind of thing. So the shooting and the discovery of the car gave a justified reason for the police to know about the kidnapping. To be
1: coming involved, to bring the police into the investigation, <laughs> exactly.
0: And this also allowed the police to conduct a more thorough search of Bathpool Park. To maintain the impression that the Whittle family had not contacted the police prior to the discovery of Nielsen's stolen car, Booth and Ronald Whittle took part in a staged television interview on the 5th of March, in which Ronald was told to reveal, during the interview, about the aborted ransom delivery attempt on the 17th of January. Now, they'd arranged previous to the actual interview that Booth would appear to become enraged and rate about hearing about this ransom hmm. drop this botched ransom drop and actually terminate
1: the interview so it was like a scene right. like a staged wow. television interview tricky thing to pull off that isn't it yeah you know if, you, if, if you've you got to hit, hit that note really well and, and be convincing yeah
0: now Nielsen didn't respond mm-hmm. to the television rules However, the following day, a primary school headmaster, after seeing the interview, after seeing that interview, contacted the police to let them know that several weeks ago, or several weeks previously, two schoolboys had handed him a lantern-style torch, which they'd found wedged in the grills of what was known locally as the glory hole, and nobody had made the connection, so the kids, the head teacher hadn't made the connection between the kidnapping Mm -hmm. and finding this Torch. this torch this glory hole was one of the ventilation shafts of an old hair cat of the old hair castle tunnel in bathpool right okay so one of the school boys also recalled some dymo tape being stuck to the torch mm. but this had since been lost right on the 6th of march police began a more thorough search and we need to talk in march now she went missing halfway through january you're talking about over a month now it's a long time missing. to keep
1: someone um, alive and, and to keep them cared for I mean I know they say don't know when people kidnap children it goes down, it's a matter of hours yeah. really
0: now as they'd said that this Involvement of the police and kind of like out there involvement of the police, they would start to, they would once again search Bathpool Park. Mm. So they started this, they started this search on the 6th of March. Search dogs assisted the search for Leslie and began at the drainage shaft where the schoolboys had found the torch. Mm -hmm. Within the railings, they immediately found the Dymo tape machine and a section of Dymo tape along with a spanner which could be used to unlock the metal bars. A leather jacket and binoculars were also found at a separate drainage site. There was nothing significant or traceable about these items apart from the binoculars that had a serial number and when they traced this back, unfortunately, the buyer had used a fake name and a name and address, so they couldn't get him through that either. So when he'd gone to buy these binoculars, yeah, which suggests there was some sort of surveillance right that he'd actually He'd thought ahead. I mean, he wasn't, this man wasn't
1: done, was it? How odd to have to give your name and address when you're buying a pair of binoculars. No. So the police searched the second drainage shaft on the site and found nothing of significance.
0: And when they moved on to the third shaft, it was the deeper of the three shafts mm-hmm. drainage shafts. And it had actually been used as air ventilation shaft for a coal mine. Now, the third shaft was subject to HM Inspectorate Mine's regulations and, as such, had to be checked for noxious gases before anyone could go down there, so they had to wait till the next day. Right. The next day came, and this was now the 7th of March, and the third shaft was searched by police and mine rescue staff. Access to the shaft was gained by a vertical 22 foot which is 6.7 meters ladder Beneath the entrance to the shaft this took them to a first landing. So it's this really big long drainage basically imagine a big long tall brick Right, like a silver, Almost like a well. Wow, almost.
1: right. It looks, it just, it reminds me, it's just a huge well. Have you seen pictures of it? Yeah, we'll put one we'll, on the website. Yeah, we'll post those on Facebook, on our, on our media, our Facebook, media. Instagram.
0: And basically, at the top of the shaft, if you look down, you've got this picture looking down, and it shows you the first landing, which I've just mentioned, mm. and I'm going to be honest, it put chills Really, yeah, the thought of somebody ending their life down there. Yeah. Okay. The ladder beneath the entrance, so it was, like I said, it was 22 foot and it took them to the first landing. It was on this landing that Detective Constable Philip Maskery found a broken police torch that had been dropped the previous day. Under this first ledge, there was another ladder and this. Dropped by them, sorry. Yeah, I think they must have been pointing the torch because they weren't right. allowed to go down it. Okay. But I think they must have been right putting the torch yeah. down there because at the end of the day, if if somebody's been down there all the time, you point a torch down there. Remember, it was deeper than the previous two, which maybe you wouldn't know. Right. You'd like shine your torch down because who wants to walk away? Mm, yeah. If there was someone down there, and you'd go down, wouldn't you? Yeah. Noxious gases are not, if she's been down there all that time and still alive. It ain't gonna kill you in the time that it takes to crawl no, climb down, point. and go back up. So I think they'd kind of they'd had a really good look around. So on the they'd gone down to the next ledge, and they found um, on the second landing, which was now 40 meters below the entrance to the shaft, on another landing they found the tape recorder. The tape recorder was found, mm-hmm. and a further ladder took Masquerade to a third landing, 60 meters below the shaft entrance. By this point, and he found a rolled-up sleeping bag wrapped inside a plastic bag, which they thought had been used as a pillow and they also found a yellow foam mattress and a sleeping bag sadly masquerade also found hanging suspended from the ledge that he was stood on Leslie's emaciated body now Leslie's body was naked apart from a necklace given to a by-boyfriend and some silver bangles and even more horrifying was that her feet were only about seven inches away from the bottom of the shaft? Right. Now, when you later read, so in court, one of the um, defenses, one the defense used for Nielsen, the fact that the the card which was attached to the metal noose is that it had actually been. Um, it caught on something right so had it not have caught on something she'd have just dropped to the floor
1: right
0: but because it was caught it had shortened the length of the rope right and the the basically the defense said didn't mean for her to die right like he'd given an adequate amount of rope mm. in order that if she fell
1: off the ledge she wouldn't kill herself and not an adequate amount of food it sounds like she's emaciated no definitely not mm. Upon hearing of the circumstances surrounding Leslie's
0: death and, and body, Chief Superintendent Booth remarked to the press that I will get this callous killer if it's the last thing I do. I have said all along that an evil and terrible wicked man we are hunting. In my wildest dreams, I never dreamed he would, be, he would do such a thing to a girl. It's mm. terrible. On the floor, seven metres below the third landing, they found the following items three-inch strip of elastoplast, which they evidently been used to blindfold and gag Leslie, a pair of brown size 7 men's trainers, more Dymo tape, a cassette tape containing Leslie's voice, a microphone, electric lead, thermos flask, men's blue corduroy trousers, and a reporter's pad bearing a clear imprint of the kidnapper's handwritten instructions um, that Leslie was to recite into
1: into the kidnappers to take Ricardo. It's not that clever, is there? With things like that, it's not thought about destroying strain them. No.
0: All the items recovered were forensically inspected by the police, and a partial print was found, but it didn't match anyone in the nationwide database. So they had a partial print, right? Okay. But it didn't match anything, but we know he'd never been caught for anything. He was such a prolific, but a accomplished burglar. Yeah. But, if that's the right word. Yeah. The post-mortem that they did on Leslie revealed that she'd been dead for a considerable amount of time and her body was in an advanced state of decomposition.
1: Well, so how long had she, between her going missing and being found by the police then? So it was, she went missing on the 14th of January and she was found on the 6th of March.
0: So it's coming up to three months. Yeah.
1: That's a long time, that, to be waiting for news. Can you imagine a parents...
0: Yeah, and bearing in mind as well, mm. they have gone on to do a television interview to try and kind of, like, reinitiate contact so that they can do another Ransom drop. The official cause of death was due to vagal inhibition, caused by a signal from a vagus nerve triggering a response from the brain, instructing her, instructing her heart to slow down and ultimately causing her heart to stop beating. Now, the vagal nerve, or vagus nerve, this is... If you're, you know when you exercise and your heart rate increases? Yeah. You've got a nerve that takes information from your brain to your heart to tell it to increase your heart rate. Right. And a nerve called vagus nerve, which is part of the parasympathetic system, Mm. that goes from your brain to your heart to tell it to slow down again. Right. So this nerve obviously was sending signals to her heart to stop, to tell it to slow down and ultimately caused her heart to stop beating. Right. Now they say that this was a response, the pathologist determined that this was likely in response to physical and psychological predicament. The pathologist, Dr. Brown, Dr. John Brown, was unable to determine the exact date or the time of her death, obviously because I think it had been, well it had been a while, but did determine that she'd been dead for six
1: weeks or more so if she'd been gone she was missing for under three months <clears throat> and she'd been dead for six so then we're talking about five weeks maybe four or five weeks yeah was well, a long time it's a
0: month mm, and they put a death between so they 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 put a window that her death would have occurred between the 17th of january and the 24th of january <sighs> yeah and in the in the autopsy, she found that her stomach and her intestines were completely empty of food, and that she weighed only six sorry only seven stone at the time Damn. of her death, and that's like ninety
1: eight pounds very emaciated so she'd not she'd not been given any food really had she or you'd not you just left her there really yeah
0: now, two days after the discovery of Lizla's body, booth, chief superintendent booth was replaced as head of the investigation. So the guy that had led it from the very beginning... Right. He was um, basically replaced, and somebody else was put in charge, Commander John Morrison. That's
1: very telling. We don't do that lightly, replace the investigating you know, officer. The officer on the on the case. No, because you'd think Powers that... Powers that be must have thought that he'd... Powers that be must have thought he, would, he wasn't up to the job. Yeah, because it would be a murder inquiry now. It's it's in a way gone up a gone up a level, I suppose. I mean, not that the kidnapping isn't serious. That's you know, so they don't. Yeah. Someone's thought it's not done a good job there. Yeah, things have been looked, at, haven't they?
0: Yeah, and we'll get into this. There's a little okay. bit more about
1: this later on,
0: but the guy at Booth later kind of like went on to say that he he, he believed that they were making him the scapegoat. And basically satisfying, like, public outrage. Okay. So, the official reason for Booth's replacement was that this would provide the necessary coordination to the different invest- differing investigations into each of the murders, which had now been linked to the Black Panther. Right. And the renewed investigation was headquartered at Kids Grove Police Station. Booth had made many lines of investigation whilst he was in charge, including investigating the items that they found in Nielsen's abandoned car, the Morris 1300, mm. the green car, and also he'd taken charge of a public appeal. Now, Commander John Morrison, Booth's replacement, reinvestigated several of these lines of inquiry that Booth made and made no further success from them. Right. So, so he done a decent to, job then. To me, that yeah, that states that He'd actually he'd done what he had to do and done all the necessary kind of like work towards investigating leads. The majority of the postal orders Nielsen stole were cashed in the north of England, and from this, the police determined that he came from the north of England, which we know he did. He was in he lived in Bradford. The police didn't share this information enough so that they didn't scare off the now coined Black Panther and Nielsen. Uh, which was nielsen and a media blackout was imposed for this information so nobody was no papers were allowed to okay. publish the fact that they believed he came from the north of England
1: it, it's it's weird i mean you wouldn't have there wouldn't be the CCTV there is today it would be quite a risk to the, uh, these days i mean I've never seen a postal order it's it's not something that I've ever used or come across no. you can transfer your money now I suppose. But, if you were to steal those from a post office today, there'd be c c t v that could be able to track you coming out of the post office and I think like computerized
0: serial numbers, so yeah. when you keyed in or you' have kind of like you scanned in the
1: postal order, it immediately I would imagine flash up with an alert maybe yeah, I don't know. I wonder if the the post offices had lists of the numbers of them, maybe.
0: Well, they must have done because to determine that most of them had been cashed yeah. in the north of England would would suggest Yeah. Suggest that they did. So even though they suspected that he lived in the north of England because he'd cashed the cheques there, the postal orders there, because he'd used so many different locations in which to cash them, they couldn't narrow it down any further to where he lived. Right. So they'd kind of like they couldn't do a geographical mm. profiling or... No, I think they yeah. did a geographical profiling, but it didn't lead them any further no. than north of England. Didn't narrow it down. Yeah. In 1975, a reenactment of the Black Panther's movements on the dates of the kidnapping was filmed and broadcast, broadcast nationwide using, using the actual stolen Morris 1300. The actor dressed in similar clothes, known to be worn by the Black Panther, and the footage featured him driving to and standing by telephone boxes used in the kidnapper's... Ransom try- Trail, mm. as well as him walking around Bathpool Park, more than one thousand public tips were generated, but none naming the perpetrator.
1: Right.
0: On the eleventh of December, nineteen seventy-five, two officers spotted a man loitering around a post office in Mansfield, carrying a holdall. This man was Nielsen. And when questioned, Nielsen gave his name as John Moxon and claimed that he was a, dr- a lorry driver finishing his shift and walking home. As the officers were writing down the information, or the false information that Nielsen was giving them, then Nielsen pulled out a sign of shotgun and pointed it at the police officers. He ordered
1: them to get into the police car and drive to Blidworth. He might have got away with that. He could have done that. Maybe. In, this, in, that, in those days, when there wasn't those pads that read your thumbprint at the scene so they can check your identity. You might have just got away with it. Yeah, maybe. And it's it's another case, this is an, another example of how these these infamous murderers are caught by accident. Think about the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah. He was just pulled over for false plates. He arrested him. He took him to the station. And it was only the other policeman thinking, oh, he, he asked to use the toilet. Nip back and went back to see what if he'd it, if thrown anything away and found the hammer and the... The murder kit. Yeah, so how <clears throat> many of these people just caught by blind chance? Yeah. PC Stuart McKenzie was in the driver's seat and Nielsen
0: in the passenger side and PC Anthony White in the back. And as they were passing through a village of Rainworth, Nielsen's gun moved away from McKenzie momentarily, but long enough for him to grab the gun and whilst breaking hard at the same time. The gun went off, mm-hmm. hitting the roof um, roof of the car and it actually injured Mackenzie's hand mm-hmm. and the struggle continued. Now two men were in a fish and chip shop nearby and they ran to assist and the four men violently... That's brave when the gun's gone off. And I think less chance of people doing that now, I could be yeah. wrong. But they struggled, so there was a violent struggle between the four men and Nielsen <laughs> and they eventually overcame Nielsen. And they dragged him to some nearby railings, handcuffed him, handcuffed him, searched him, and he was driven to Kids Grove Police Station to face formal questioning. So remember that all all
1: investigation was going through Kidsworth at this point. And he must have been carrying Kids that Grove, gun sorry. around with him all the time. Yeah. It's not like he's yeah, he was lying to outside a post office. Oh you don't think to cash the post lodges, you think to no, rob it. I, yeah, I think
0: evening right. time he was it was gonna go rob it. Right. Myself, because he had a hold all. Why right. would you? You wouldn't need a hold all. No? And that's what they found suspicious about him. In Nielsen's possession were two black hoods concealed under his jacket, and this led them to suspect he was the actual the Black Panther himself, right. which they'd been searching for obviously for years. His fingerprints were taken, which were the partial match and the fingerprint of the reporter's notepad found in the drainage shaft where Leslie was found. And they found that they matched. Brilliant. So for 12 hours, he refused to reveal his identity or admit to the kidnapping and murder of Leslie Whittle. But then, on the 13th of December, Nielsen asked the question, can you protect my wife and daughter if I make a statement? Now, when the officer told him that he couldn't make any promises, but he would arrange for him to see his family as soon as possible, Nielsen said, I want to make a statement. I want everyone to know the truth. The girl needn't have died if the money was paid. The formal confession, was given to DCS Harold Wright, head of Staffordshire CID, and Commander Morrison, Scotland Yard, and it took nine hours. And it covered 18 pages, and it was handwritten by DCI Walter Barham. Right. In the interview, he insisted that Leslie had actually fallen to her death in the early hours of the 17th of January, when she'd stepped aside as he climbed down the ladder to the narrow ledge where she was. However, later at the trial, the prosecution contended this and said that he had deliberately pushed Leslie off the ledge in frustration at the failed ransom drop. I mean, at the end of the day,
1: no one's going to know what actually happened in that drainage shaft. No, I mean, it's only one person that really knows what happened, and he's, he's always going to give a this most sanitised version of it, he can. Yeah. He's going to paint the picture the best way he can. I mean, he's kidnapped and murdered someone, but he's going to be very aware of how he comes across and, and found the best way to explain it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's her fault, isn't it? She stepped aside, she's lost her balance, and she's done that. It, no, he, he hasn't got any responsibility on that. And, I mean... it. He could have fled. He could have not gone back to the drainage shaft and
0: just left her there. Mm. She could have been overcome with the fact that she was emaciated. She must have been severely weak. Mm. Weakened, dehydrated and just accidentally fallen to a death. Yeah. During the trial, which started on the 1st of January 1976, 1st of July, sorry, 1976, Nielsen took the stand in his own defence and was questioned for 19 hours. Which they don't all do, do they? They don't have to take the stand. No. The entire trial lasted two weeks, and when the jury retired to deliberate, they returned less than two hours later. That's not long. No. Not considering all the evidence they've heard. No. Now, they reached the verdict of guilty, and Nielsen was given a life sentence for the murder of Leslie and a concurrent sentence of 61 years for her kidnapping. Is that concurrent that means at the same time as yeah it? right. So Nielsen was given a life sentence for the murder of Leslie and a concurrent sentence of sixty-one years for her kidnapping. And when the judge, Mister Justice Mars Jones, informed Nielsen of his sentence, mm. he said, "In your case, life must mean life."
1: Right. So he's, 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 he has spent he has spent li- he has spent life in prison then.
0: Yeah, but also don't forget the the next trial that started on the 21st of July so if you think the first one started on 1st July for 2 weeks that's 14th of July and a week later the um the trial for the murders of the three sub postmasters yeah. um was done and for these, he, re- he received a further three concurrent life sentences. It's all served at the same time, I suppose. Isn't well, what it? is it when it's one after the other? Consecutive. There? Consecutive, that's it. Nielsen remained in prison until he died on the 18th of December 2011 at the age of 75. So it did mean life for Nielsen. Now, not long after Commander John Morrison replaced Chief Superintendent Booth, Booth was demoted to the rank of uniformed officer. He later said, so this is what I was saying, he later said that his On decision what
1: I wonder. Oh, you're going to tell it Yeah,
0: so the decision left him disillusioned with those who made him the scapegoat for errors and failures of others not under his command and had lightly been done, it had lightly been done to appease the public outrage. I think basically, I think one of the major criticisms that they had was the fact that they didn't adequately search Bath Pool Park that first time and had they have actually had they searched it that first time that they would have actually found it because if you remember there were things near drainage shafts, near the railings Right By 28, by 2008 Nielsen had been transferred to HM Prison Norwich and had been suffering from motor neuron disease for several years Gradually, up into a nice place, so. <laughs> I know, and gradually leaving him unable to use his limbs and qu- requiring him to be spoon-fed. Right. He appealed against his sentence, requesting it to be commuted to a maximum of 30 years. His appeal was heard at the High Court in London, with Mr Justice Thierry ruling on the 12th of June that he must never be re- released from prison, saying, This is a case where the gravity of the applicant's offences justifies a whole life order. The manner in which the young girl was killed demonstrates that it is too involved a substantial degree of premeditation or planning. It also involved the abduction of the young girl. The location and manner of Leslie Whittle's death indicates that she must have been subjected by the applicant to a dreadful and horrific ordeal. Right. Well said.
1: Well said. And, and there's not many people get whole life orders in, in the UK. No. It is a handful of people that they are i say awarded to given to so it's a big thing it's a big thing to get it's not it's not but he has murdered how many people
0: Um, including
1: leslie five five people so that's five i mean if you were getting 25 years for each one of those it'd be 125 years yeah
0: when he died he'd been the longest serving prisoner in the uk in the early hours of seventeenth of December twenty eleven, Nielsen complained to prison staff of breathing difficulties. He was taken from HM Prison Norwich to Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital, where he died at six forty five p.m. the following day. His death was officially ruled as being due to pneumonia, and he is known to have asked prison staff not to keep him alive if his health further deteriorated. Many of Nielsen's family members had severed all contact with him upon discovering his culpability in Leslie Whittle's kidnapping and murder. None of his family members were present at the time of his death, but his daughter did send, I think it was Catherine, wasn't it, did send a thank you card to prison staff for the care they provided for her father in his final days.
1: That DNR that he asked them to do, that's quite a a big thing to be asked. I've been asked that. I, I um have a friend, and she's she's uh, older than me, she's about sixty, seven, sixty eight, 68, and she has a do not, resusc- do not resuscitate. And she hasn't got any illnesses, hmm. but she has a, a do not resuscitate. And we, we we went on holiday and said, so are you telling me if you fell and you hit your head, that I would have to... I can understand them if you're suffering from... A, a, a an illness that you're only getting going to get worse with, or yeah. you're gonna, you know it's a generative... Uh, terminal disease. Terminal disease. But I said, what if you hit, you like fell over and you hit your head and you got knocked over? Are You telling me that I've got to tell those staff not to resuscitate you? She went, yes. Oh my god. So it's a big thing. It's a big thing to ask someone to do. Especially when you're not sure that it is a people's people's heart stop. Young people they can mm. have something happen to them. The heart can stop. They resuscitate them, and
0: so it's not like she wouldn't go on and live a full, yeah. healthy, oh, sorry, full healthy life in future. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it is a big thing to ask people to do that, um, and I can understand why he said that. Why be brought back to just have another few months of suffering? Um, but I found that very. Hard because I do believe life's worth fighting for, and I'm I'm not I I understand that people suffering from these diseases. I I think yeah. that that is a situation where I would probably have a DNR, mm. but to have to like make that decision to actually say for some to be given that responsibility to say to doctors, do not. She had it in a phone. She had this thing in a phone. This form that she signed, but to actually turn around and say don't suscitate her, mm-hmm. when it could be something that if they're brought around, she'd be okay from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a big... I didn't like that. I was, no. I was very nervous. It's a big responsibility. Yeah.
0: So I think the only thing really left to say about the Black Panther and the case of, obviously, um, Donald Nielsen, that I think his daughter, Catherine Nielsen, has done a lot of interviews, and she actually said that... And it's worth noting that she said that during the times that he kidnapped and murdered Leslie, that he was an absolute monster and became really domineering at home. And that's the and but I think she's done like interviews. I think you
1: can watch them. Right. So, so if, if you, anybody's interested. Yeah, we could find those on probably YouTube. We can't I think Facebook are a bit funny when I've like linked stuff to YouTube before they yeah. said I can't do it. I'm not a huge Facebook user we will put photos of nielsen and some photos um that on on our facebook page of his victim and on that on, on that subject can we ask all our listeners to visit us on murder uh, or at murder most gruesome podcast on facebook yeah and like us follow us share the love and really show us your
0: support so I think that's been our is that been our longest
1: podcast yet this is our longest podcast yet so
0: hopefully people enjoyed it and stay tuned for the next one yep thank you very much and it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from